as an old beaver, talks about how he became famous. Early Shakespearean. Also, it's Barry as Barry. It's, it's called The Man Behind the Mask. Oh. Shopping malls are just such soulless places. Strip shopping for me, Caro. Look, I'm the same. To me, shopping has become a luxury. It's something that you do for fun, not that you do for a chore. The whole Racial Vilification Act and how the AFL would respond was, as you say, light years ahead of anything else other industries were doing. The focus now should be on what the game can do for Indigenous Australians once they leave the game. I love this novel and I love its sense of place, which is London just after the war, so all that austerity, civilians trying to adjust to life without the war. Well, all I... your recipes are sweet now. No, I think What it's happened g- to the savoury girl I knew and loved? I know, but I think it's golf. <laughs> <laughs> I loathe Roseanne Barr. And I'm, I'm happy. really glad you said that. Happy. I couldn't actually pick that for a minute. I never understood why she was funny the first time. I can't believe her new sitcom has been reprised and has been rating really well. Well, it's all over. It's been cancelled. Come on, Queen. On to the 21st century. You've when, created the canopy. Now create the bare legs for the royal women. True feminists, at times when women do something wrong, they can't always stick up for women all the time. But I think in this case, it's really disappointing. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome to all our lovely listeners, episode 40 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin and uh, for 40 weeks I've been chatting away to my friend Caroline Wilson, the award-winning journalist, cook and gardener extraordinaire, gym guru at the moment, I understand, Caro. A few more sessions a week, it's gone up a bit. Well, not today because you've dragged me in here so early. It means we've got a holiday coming on for you, doesn't it, if you're (laughs) up to the gym three times a week. If we keep going at this rate, the show's going to be older than we are, Corrie, which is quite some achievement, I reckon. Well, speaking of 40, I went to a 40th school reunion the other night. So, um, yeah, look, I must say most people were looking pretty good. So if our um, Don't Shoot the Messenger is in that same shape, uh, good on us. Were you Um, looking fabulous? I you tried were. to. I had, I to, have, I had to have a blow wave. <laughs> to outfit? Come on, you've been planning it for weeks. No, I hadn't. No, I hadn't. I had to work that afternoon, so it had to be pragmatic. No, I wore the outfit I'm not allowed to mention. Remember the one oh. that I bought and your husband spied me in it at the Quills? That beautiful suit. And you mentioned it on air, and Pete said, what's this new outfit you've bought? Because right. I tried to sneak it into the hey, cupboard. listen, it's paid for itself already. <laughs> What, three out outings. <laughs> Photograph for the age um, to a black tie event and now your school reunion. I, I remember a friend saying she dieted for a month to fit into these white jeans so she could wear them to, I think it was our 30th school reunion. <laughs> it's like you worry more about how you look at your school reunion than you do at your wedding for heaven's sake. Yep. Well, look, um, that's it for another 10 years. Uh, just a quick cheerio, Caro, before we go on to um, housekeeping because I think you have a few things. Um, one to apologies. Um, um, on uh, Saturday afternoon, I was working and um, rather tired at the end of the day and my hubby said, because I was going to walk home, and my hubby said, I'll pick you up from the shop and we went via the local wine bar and um, a, someone came up to me. She recognised my voice. Her name is Bridget Flyter. She was there on her uh, third, 20th school reunion with a group of girls, loves the podcast, loves you, loved hearing Ned's story, loves me. Just so effusive. Um, so thanks, Bridget, for saying hi. And also Peter Barnett, who's a friend of yours, came into the shop, a lovely older gentleman, and ca- wanted me to congratulate you on Ned, your son, who was our guest last week, and said, intelligent young man, said Peter. So He's married um, to the beautiful legs, the Irish racehorse trainer. 
Well, he's legs by name, legs by nature. She's got well, the, she's the most incredible. He is a and real fan. Woman. I love it when men say they're huge fans of the podcast. That's so good. And then just also on our Caro and Corey Instagram account, Mrs. CJO5 posted. Uh, just in time for my flight home from Singapore. Nothing personal, but your dulcet tones did send me to sleep in the flight over, so I had to listen to the episode twice. Well, I love the fact we put people to sleep. <laughs> well, I've, I've had a um, fan mail with a question, ending with a question. Tracy Spicer, the well-known TV journalist who's been in the news over the past couple of years, sent a gorgeous uh, message on social media saying what a credit my son is to me, which was very nice. But Whatever happened to Tracy's list? You know, she was going to publish a list of all the bad blokes of the Australian media. I, I must ask her that. Or you might, you, you, have you? No, you, well. It never came out, did it? No, it, I, not that I ever saw. Um, she did start the sort of movement happening here, you know, around the Harvey Weinstein moment. There's some but homework for us, Now Corrie. she's your best friend, Caro. You should contact her. Well, <laughs> I, I have had one lovely response from a doctor, Corey, Remus of Ballarat. Now he's the GP husband of our gin drinking cat supporter friend Jane who got in touch very early on in the piece he is thrilled with my recommendation regarding the chemo mascara anything that reduces treatment of cancer stigma helps recovery says Remus the Ballarat GP oh here lo- here I agree the Remus. local oncologist in Ballarat has the as a head freezing equipment with chemotherapy to help prevent the huge confronting stigma of hair loss and the need for wigs. Patients love it. So www.env, and that's E-Y-E-N-V-Y.com.au is where you find this mascara. You can also, Julie, sister of Anna from the op shop who recommended it as Mortified, she wore an Indian wedding dress to their royal wedding party. She made a Harry and Meghan cake and she was thrown under the bus, she claims. All she's good for is a recommendation about mascara. So she's mortified, but she buys it at the King's Arcade. It's about in Armadale, a place well known to you, Corrie, because your friend Robert used to have a jewellery shop there. Correct. And um, it's about $120 a pop. So there you go. Okay, so Carol, we've got lots to talk about today. You've been to, um, we've got a couple of national icons to tick off the list. You've been to Barry Humphrey's show, um, Maya Melbourne, one of our great icons is in a bit of trouble. And of course, Kevin Sheedy this week has been inducted into the Hall of Fame, the AFL Hall of Fame, which is a huge achievement and long overdue. But tell me first about the Barry Humphreys. I didn't realise you were going to the Baz show. Um, I, I, I rang to get tickets a couple of months ago. You must have won Tats Lotto because they're so expensive. <laughs> oh, no. But well, I saw your little Instagram after Tigers off to Barry. So you had the perfect day. Yeah, can, can life get any better, as I said? I mean, a beautiful day at the MCG. Caught, did radio there. Caught up with my daughter Rose. Watched the Tigers have a win. Bit, you know, not as comfortable as I would have liked. But anyway, that was all fine. And then... I thought I was not really worth going home now. I may as well just toddle off to St Kilda Road in the Hamer Hall and we had dinner next door, but I got there early and ordered myself an Aperol spritzer and pretended it was summer and thought what a wonderful city it is that we live in. But no, we organised tickets before Christmas because we bought them for mum as a Christmas present. Rose organised it. Um, It was... I mean, I, I, there's been mixed reviews about this show and friends and family have said, oh, bit laboured, bit long, he's a bit old, he lost the plot a few times... Didn't happen on Saturday night, the night we went. He was hysterical. And we were three generations all laughing at these incredible jokes. And the reason it was so good is because he, I mean, he's an old diva. 
And he is well, an old... Old being the operative word, 83 or 84, yeah. I think. Yeah, and you can tell he's old when he sits down on the chair a couple of times. <laughs> he thumps down <laughs> and sort of struggles to Doesn't get up. Doesn't let off a little bit of wind like some old people no, do. No, no, um, no Les Patterson. But he, he basically, as an old diva, talks about how he became famous. Early Shakespearean. Oh, so it's Barry is Barry. It's it's called the Man Behind the Mask. Ah, and and there are mentions of people well known to you. I mean, you would have loved it. An early article in the Age by Neil Clarahan, the famous architect, talking about how Barry Humphreys has made real estate and houses part of his humour. Mm. And he, he does pick on one audience member and does some funny stuff about their house and what it looks like. But does Edna appear at all? No, but there's a lot of old vision. Original Edna, later Edna, Edna sitting in the royal box with Charles and Camilla. Um, it's how he, how Edna was really invented. It's how Sandy Stone was really invented. How Les Patterson was really invented. Hysterical stories. A lot of mother complex going on with Barry. Oh yeah. Well, his um his two um memoirs, his autobiographies, one published in 1992 and one published in 2002. I think it was. Um, the mother is the constant. Well, the constant. It, it's fascinating it's like and, and a lovely. Well, stop, re- stop drawing attention to yourself, Barry, which it, was her regular line. And I think that's probably. That gets a run. That gets well, a run. it's probably in many ways um, uh, run his life, hasn't it? Don't draw attention to yourself. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably right. And, and the, you know, he deals with his alcoholism. He reads from a book that actually I've, I've read, um, which is a novel, Women in the Background, that he wrote that is mm. so autobiographical it's not funny. But he talks about how it was Joan Rivers who encouraged him to go to America and, and be a success. He basically takes credit for a whole lot of other shows and genres in comedy and TV that he reckons he originated. And you look at it all and you go, yeah, he's actually right. Well, he was a he was a, a, a an absolute icon and mentor to um, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. Talks about Peter Cook. Look, it is just, if you want a, a really good story, name-dropping funny, he got one word wrong, one um, description wrong, and he, he's... His sort of foil for the show is a guy he's been doing stuff with for 25 years who plays a piano and just accompanies him, really. And he goes and sits and talks to him briefly, but he says to him, they can all say they were here the night, you know, Barry finally lost his mind. <laughs> I absolutely, we all, we skipped out of the theatre. Everyone there seemed to absolutely love it. The Hamer Hall is such a great venue. It was packed. Well, there's such affection for, for Barry in Melbourne. And, um, Carol, I've met him a few times. He was actually a friend of my dad's and dad and Neil Clearahan and Les Tanner, the late great cartoonist of the age, were um, in a bit of a, a gang with Barry and they worked hard to be a supportive network for him when he was um, recovering from alcoholism. But I met him more. He comes into the bookshop occasionally because one of his children lives not far from us. So he's been into the bookshop and made some quite nice comments about the books, <laughs> which is good. But I met him again a couple of years, or a few years ago. Um, he had an exhibition of his paintings. Which he's the, very proud of. He's very proud yeah. of. You're absolutely right. Uh, at the Dennis Savile, remember uh, Dennis Savile's old gallery in South Yarra? It used to be the place where, you know, all the hoi polloi used to go to buy their pictures. And there were 30 works. Um, um, for sale at night between a modest 4,000 and 12,500. And they were little um, artworks that Barry had done of when he's on holiday and travels, that's when he likes to paint. And all of them were snapped up that night. 
Um, I had a lovely interview slash chat with Barry, and um, he said it's the only painting for him is the only time when he doesn't worry. When I'm staring at a landscape and interpreting it and doing my own version of it, I feel total serenity and peace. And he also told me in that interview that he suffers enormous stage fright. He always has. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it, that somebody who just seems to be so comfortable on the stage is actually a quivering wreck inside. Well, yeah, having having been to his shows over decades, and I think Mum first saw him at you know Melbourne University because he was a couple of years above her at school, so she's been laughing at him for ever sixty years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, six over sixty years. But we just all kept marvelling that all all the generations in our family thought it was hysterical, and he works in the UK and the US just as much as he does. Well, the, you know, Britain really became his home, didn't it? Yeah, he's, and he, can, that he, he does here. And yeah, he, he can pick up the right suburb, the right names, the right children's names, the right affectations and for a few, wherever and he And a few is. sort of um, contemporary gags, you know, AMP and the bank's got to run around. Look, very, very funny, really, really great show. And I really felt quite privileged to be there. Well, if Potties um, can't get to the show, uh, wherever it's appearing around Australia, um, his two autobiographies have recently been re-released. I think Penguin is the publisher. One is called More Please, 1992, which I think is the more hilarious one because it's the younger years. And Barry was a real fruitcake of a kid, I have to tell you. And then the other one, as I said, is this 2002 one called My Life as Me. And the mother, as I said, is the constant character. Um, and one of the saddest moments is as a nine-year-old, Barry decides he's fallen in love with books and he wants to spend his hard-earned pocket money each week on buying books. And one day he gets home from Melbourne Grammar and his mother has taken all of his books to the Salvation Army and he's so upset and she can't understand why and she says but you've read them all Barry (laughs) he's crying Uh, there's and there's also a reconciliation of a bullying incident at school that he he tracks down someone he bullied and and wrecked his sandwiches as sort of a (laughs) seven or eight year old and look there's some great stories there now Corrie um you are very upset about Maya you used to work at George's. You were one of the women in black as a younger teenager. And you basically have some thoughts about when the rot set in, and I want to hear about it. Caro, Maya is, Maya's in crisis. Maya is in crisis, yeah. They've just pointed a new CEO who is, um, I'm not sure when his starting date is. He is due to start, and the board is circling, and so particularly is one of the board members, Solomon Liu. Everybody is waiting for Maya to either um, pull itself out of this crisis or actually be submerged, and probably Solomon Liu's uh, investment company will um, buy it. That's the tip. But um, news came this week, Caro, that um, the, that Maya has sent out a directive to its um, concession stores. So if you think about when you go into Maya, you'll see Mecca, Cosmetica or Longcom or you might go upstairs and you'll see Witchery or, you know, Country Road or whatever. These are shops within shops. So they're staffed by Country Road or Mecca. Um, and what they do is they pay uh, they pay um, part of their part of their sales actually go to Maya, but Maya has no control on the staff or how it looks at the store looks or anything like I that. I actually didn't know that. So when That's you go, terrible. so when you, have you ever? And this has happened to me um, just last week actually. Um, I went into Maya at Shaddy and I wanted to buy um, a new moisturiser, which. Um, female potties out there will know is not an inexpensive um, proposition sometimes. And I went to my regular counter and... Don't um, you just buy it at the supermarket? You get perfectly good moisturisers at the supermarket. Come on, you're spending 150 bucks a pop on 
Oh, mascara. So no, just, no, I'm not. It was I'm 120 and I'm recommending it. So anyway. It's very extravagant. No, I don't buy my moisturiser at a supermarket. I do go to a department <laughs> store. But um, the person in charge of my area, my brand, was looking after someone and I'm just standing there holding this jar, looking around, you know, like where can I buy this? I can't even see a point of sale. And a, a, a lady came up to me and said, oh, can I help you? I'm not, I don't work here, but, you know, do you need a hand? And I said, well, I just want to buy this. But I need to ask a question. She said, oh, you'll just have to wait for the sale for, you know, Loretta or whoever to come over. Well, Loretta was busy and I waited two minutes. I put the jar down in such fury and walked out of the store, which in hindsight was a dumb idea because I've come home with no mascara. Mm. But the agitation. Cut off your nose to spite your face. Well, yeah, and the face face is looking older because I'm now using (laughs) supermarket (laughs) moisturiser. But you Karen, know you talk to experts in this field and they reckon they're all the same. I mean, if I'm at the airport... And oh, you sound like Kaz Cook. Exactly. Let's move well, on. So, no, sorry. So, so what has happened is that, that Maya has done a massive survey over the last couple of months and they've identified that you know service, in-store service is the key thing that is really pissing customers off. So what they're saying to all these brands in these little shops within the shop is we want you to look after all customers. So we want you to be part of the Maya team. If someone comes in, you look after them. Well, the concession brands are going, well, no way, because I might be looking after a Maya person helping her to the shoe department, and there are three people standing at my mega cosmetic counter waiting for me. I'm not making the sale. I don't get my targets and budgets, uh, and you know I don't get my commissions. Why would I do that? So there is, it's a catastrophe. Well, if Maya. everybody worked together, it would be a successful community, but they're not prepared to. Well, you mentioned George's, Caro, and that's the model you know, of old department stores, great and wonderful, that we remember from our childhood, Ball and Welsh, the old David Jones, all of that sort of thing. And, you know, at George's, Carol, we all did it for each other. We all, you know, George's, if somebody was in the glove department waiting, I didn't know the first thing about gloves, but I'd go and pretend to measure their hands until the older lady came back and looked after the gloves. And everybody looked after everyone. I don't get that feeling in these department stores. And I just worry about um, shopping malls as well. You know, shopping malls are just such soulless places. Strip shopping for me, Caro. Look, I'm the same. To me, shopping has become a luxury. It's something that you do for fun, not that you do for a chore. And so if if it's underwear, I have my favourite underwear shop. If it's – well, for example, I, I never go to Chadston, but incredibly I have also been there in the last week because I saw this dress I really liked and they didn't have it in my size where I saw it, so they had it at Chadston. So on Sunday – you should have got them to ship it over for you. Most yeah, stores will do that. Yeah, but the 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 policy at this shop was you had to pay for it first. Oh, okay. and you so to I wanted to on. try it on. So I went to Chadston. Well, I walked through David Jones to get to – the shop was Marameco. I walked through David Jones to get there. And I remember thinking I would no sooner stop at any of these areas. It was messy. I was – forcing my way through racks of stuff that just didn't look attractive at all. You know, this is the entry to David Jones from the car park at Chadston. There was mm. nothing to make Soulless. me. I, I did sort of have half an eye on the um, Mac counter because, you know, I do love their lipstick, but I just kept walking and my feeling was I want to get out of here. I don't want to stay in here at all. Yeah. So I much prefer specialty shops and I know it's silly, but and I actually have even been known to buy the odd thing online, which I never thought I would do. Um, you said Mac then. I actually meant Mac. I've been saying Mac Cosmetica. I didn't mean to say Mac because um, that's where I buy my lipstick Oh, well, too. Their, their service is notoriously terrible. Um, oh, no. There it is. It's awful. Um, so the other thing also that's pissing me off about um, about department stores, Caro, is that 
this week being the end of May, they are holding their mid. They being David Jones and Meyer are holding their midweek season sale. It's not even winter. I know. It's it? not even winter. It's a great so, concern. It is great concern. So, look, good luck, new CEO John King. Um, one of his former colleagues at the House of Fraser, where he had been CEO for seven years, one of his former buddies said, um, this job at Myra is a suicide job. <laughs> Happy. Um, so I just wish him all the best with that one. Now, Caro, another um, momentous... Before, before we move on, you're not going to reveal the name of this um, incredible dress place that you buy things from online that is really cheap. Oh, look, no, well, I'm happy to. <laughs> it's the only clothing I have ever bought and probably will ever buy online. And, um, the I cane- think the you cane- owe it to all of us to well, give us cane- your GLT, well, Corrie. Well, Francesca will have a fit, but um, Checker put me onto this um, and because she was the canary down the coal mine and bought the first of these dresses and it fitted me like a glove, I've since bought two. There is an Instagram account called Christy Dawn, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, Dawn, as in... Um, the dawn of a new day. Correct, Mondo. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say Dawn Fraser, but yeah, that'll do. Or in fact, Dawn Robinson, <laughs> who is a department store. Who's a friend of mine. I know. Bring back Dawny, I say. Anyway. Was she Meyer or David Jones? She was Meyer and she was fabulous and she's still a friend and she's just, um, you know, ripping up a storm over there in the retail world of the, world of the States. But Christy she Dawn. Be back here. Yeah, Christy Dawn and they make, um, they do dresses out of California out of recycled fabrics, so really beautiful. I don't mean curtain fabric potties. I mean really beautiful sort of a la Liberty kind of florals, lovely. And, and they only ever make as much as the, um, the, the you know, off-cut allows them. So they might make 10 dresses or they might make 20. But the company sh- looks around for off-cuts from big fabric houses around the States and then brings it in and then they have six or eight of these defined dresses and you just go small, medium or large or in the case of the one I buy, I think it's sizeless actually um, and so comfortable and everybody always says, what a pretty fabric. So that's my tip for today. Now, off fashion, Caro, on to footy and um, the AFL Indigenous round is this weekend. I have huge affection for this round, um, partly because I once was invited to a game with the then Arts Minister, Peter Garrett, who at half time said, oh, look, just excuse me. I was his guest and we were sitting there watching the footy, the Richmond Essendon game. And at half time he said, oh, excuse me, I've just got to go down and do a bit of a performance. And he went down to the middle of the ground at the MCG and sang, out of little things, big things grow with Paul <laughs> Kelly. It was the best part of the footy show. Look, it is it is a great round. And that um, the Dreamtime game, which was envisaged by Kevin Sheedy, who this week was installed as the latest legend of the Australian Football Hall of Fame. And he counts his, interestingly, he counts his greatest achievements, despite all the premierships as a coach and a player and all the other innovations, his creation of, AFL Sports Ready, which I think you sat on the board for a, for a while, helping find jobs, basically, well, basically creating a whole new level of employment for people in the game, but also the Dreamtime game and now the Country game and the Anzac Day game. But the atmosphere on the Saturday night Richmond Essendon game is incredible. They've renamed the round the Sir Doug Nichols round. They really kicked it off last Sunday with an unbelievable game in Alice Springs between Melbourne and Adelaide, which has become another fixture on the calendar. Only 7,000 people in the ground, which is But everybody watched it, I reckon. Don't you think the ratings would have been huge? Yes, until Adelaide completely tossed it in and lost by nearly 100 points. But, there um, go our footy tips. Look, this is, this is a great... This round has seen some massive 
controversial incidents too. I mean, the first big racial incident happened on an, in an Anzac Day game, one of the first Anzac Day games in the S and the first one, when Damien Moncos, the big Collingwood Ruckman, said something to Michael Long and Michael Long would not accept it. And that was where the racial and religious vilification code began. The AFL, as we know, was a national leader in creating this code. Tony Peake, who I wrote about in The Age last Saturday, who's leaving the AFL after three decades at the end of the year and who is not well, he was instrumental. in. I think he spoke to every Indigenous player back in the 90s and really gained an understanding of what these guys were all about. I was editing the footy record at that time and um, Peaky was actually my boss. um, That would have been fun. (laughs) Well, you know, he's got a bit of a dry delivery, but look, we had a we had a really good time there, and we produced a great magazine. But the whole racial vilification um, act and how the AFL would respond was, as you say, um, light years ahead of anything else other industries were doing. And Peaky was a real mover and shaker behind the scenes there. Yeah, which he, which he's never really got credit for. Uh, of course, um, about three, four years ago was the. In, up in Sydney, the Marne Grook game, which is also part of the round, um, Adam Goods did the dance that the AFL took far too long to respond to, and we know the, you know the dominoes just continued to fall. And you know the, one of the great shames of this current administration took place when Adam Goods just kept getting booed, and the AFL really didn't do enough about it. But I think what we need the the focus now should be on what the game can do for Indigenous Australians once they leave the game, because there's less than five, probably only about two or three coaching out of the 150 coaches that work at AFL clubs, very few in administration. The AFL has said they declared under the Mike Fitzpatrick Commission that there will be an Indigenous commissioner by the end of 2018. Now, guess what? We're in 2018. Well, you know, um, wouldn't Adam Goods be the likely candidate for that? There's absolutely no way Adam Goods would agree. If, If they... I would be amazed if he would... That would be a long journey for him to come from where he is now and the way he was treated by the game to getting on the commission. I would be amazed. So, Do you reckon it has to be someone who has played the game, Caro? No, I don't. But um, when you look at the makeup of the commission now, there are not many on the... the only I think only Jason Ball, from memory, um, who played in premierships for both Sydney and West Coast, is the only former player on the commission. So it certainly wouldn't hurt if the right candidate came along. But... When you set these targets, you put a lot of pressure on yourself and I'll be fascinated to hear what happens. Anyway, I'm looking forward to Saturday night and go Tykes. Well, yes, okay, there's <laughs> just another to com- ad for them. Just okay. to completely lower it to the level that I want it to. On to all things that we love being books, screen and food. And I have a book and you have a screen and I have a recipe. Um, I would like to tell everybody about this most wonderful book by Michael Ondaatje, and it's called Wall Light. Oh, was this on the list of Man Booker nominations? No. Oh, no, his other book, The English Patient, was yes. nominated as one yes. of the best w- winners of all time. We should talk the about Golden that next week. Yeah, we should talk about that next week, Caro, The Golden Booker. Um, yeah, mm. so heads up to potties on that one. Um, the, the They are having a vote in England at the moment um, on the best man booker book of each decade over the 50 years that the man booker has been in existence. And this most premier of all literary awards in the world um, is is always sort of hotly coveted and the 
calibre of the books and the people who have won it is just extraordinary. So you're right. They've announced the shortlist, and Michael and Dutchie was the best one for the 80s, I think. It's when for that the came English out. patient. Yeah, but anyway, patient. Yeah, sorry, off topic. Sorry, so, um, <laughs> so this is a really fabulous novel. This is one for book clubs. A uh, novel about um, post-World War II Britain immediately after the war. And the civilians who have been fighting in the war effort are having trouble adjusting to life in peacetime. And what we're examining here is the family of Nathaniel, um, whose life we follow, and his family, which was really shattered by espionage and spy activity. So Nathaniel is 14 when the book opens. His sister Rachel is 16. And one day they're sat down in the garden by their father, who says he's being transferred to Singapore with his new job, which is with Unilever. And he and his mother are leaving. The children will stay in England and go to boarding school. And the mysterious lodger who has moved in a few months ago, nicknamed by the children the Moth, he is going to be their guardian. So any problems that the kids have at boarding school, the Moth will be living in their house in London and they can go and see the Moth. Well, of course, they hate boarding school and they've both done a runner within a couple of weeks. And the Moth says, OK, we won't tell your parents, you can stay here. But the siblings are perplexed and bewildered um, by the fact that their parents are absolutely uncontactable. And... They are, particularly Nathaniel, who had a very close relationship with his mother, he is missing her a great deal. Um, I won't give anything away at this point, but I must say the heartbeat of this novel is actually Nathaniel's mother, Rose. And Rose Williams, all is not what it seems with her. She has not necessarily gone to Singapore as the expat wife um, supporting the husband in his new role. I'm not going to say anything else, but the mystery just takes off midway through the book. I love this novel and I love its sense of place, which is London just after the war. So all that austerity um, and, and, as I said, civilians trying to adjust to life without the war. And also the role that memory plays. So Nathaniel, we go through his life, but he keeps taking us back to childhood memories that are rich and clear. But then sometimes he questions, did I imagine that or did or, or did that really happening? And, of course, his dashed childhood with all these disturbing events um, is really sad. And we watch as this man tries to adjust to adult life and making sense of what happened to his mother. Uh, great book, Michael and Dutchie's Warlight. What a rich vein of literary triumphs has been post-war London. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I mean, we've just done... Well, we've just, just think been... Call the Midwife, everyone, and you've got the feel for it. Yeah, and, and obviously most of this is set in Guernsey, but the Guernsey Literary... Potato Peel, peel Pie and Literary yeah. Society, I should say. That's another one that's set half in London post-war and Well, they go back in, in time, Guernsey. don't they? Back and forward in the book. Yeah. And all those wonderful novels by Kate Atkinson. I mean, the main one... Um, Life, oh, yes. life, after, life life, after Life, which is mainly post-war London, although a That's bit a of That's a very war. good book club book as well. Oh, can I just say, just on book clubs, um, we've just finished in the shop. Our, our rotational six groups have all done The Choke by Sophie Laguna. They have been among the six best, best being most interesting and vigorous conversations that we have ever had in the nine years that we've been running our bookshops. So if you haven't read, if your book club out there hasn't read The Choke, um, which uh, was shortlisted for the Stella Prize this year. It is a great book club book. Maybe that could be one for your new coastal book club. It could be. <laughs> More I'm on I'm going that. to be doing eight a month now. More, I'll just be chatting well, away. Well, it's been so successful that they've had to split it into two. Mary Wesley's another great novelist who writes really well about post-war London. I love London. Mary Wesley. Oh. I love Mary Wesley.
I'd forgotten about her. She's actually in the shop. I bought her when I, I bought some books in when I first opened the shop. She, she doesn't sell fir- all that well these days. She wrote her first novel at seventy, and I reread. I think I told oh, you over yeah. some of the chamomile lawn does not lose oh, a and, thing. And you know how I said to you I was going to try and this year do one contemporary book and then go back and see an old favourite. We've been oh, bad about that. Well, well, we have been bad, but I did read Green Gage Summer by Ruma Godden. Have you ever read that? No. Oh, okay. You must read that. Okay, because I'm sort of, sort of vaguely channels. Um, I capture the castle. Okay, over to you. You for film. Well, I'm I'm reprising one of your reviews from last year because um, it's now come out on wide release. Um, it was uh, a feature of the British Film Festival, and you went and saw it with Anna from the Op Shop, the Bookshop, and I can see why you loved it so much. I think it's had really bad publicity. Even David Stratton didn't like it much, and I always agree with David. David. David was just a bit churlish about this, and I'd love to know what Margaret would have thought. This is a fascinating story based on the novel by Penelope Fitzgerald, which I then went and looked up and I actually read it before I saw the film. I read it over summer. It's a really lovely novel. It is, and they've actually just brought out a movie tie-in cover. We have a few in the shop. They're all around everywhere. You can see them. Well, I, I thought it was a lovely Look, some people, I went and saw it. I've been going to movies alone lately. What does that say about me and my life? But a few blokes walked out of the session that I was at. It was an early morning session. A couple of women who I actually knew in the cinema said they found it a bit dull and slow. I I thought it was lyrical. I thought it was lyrical. And I thought, I didn't think Bill Nye and Patricia Clarkson struggled, as was the view of David Stratton. I thought their performances were subtle and beautiful. I thought Emily Mortimer, who is the bookshop owner, was fantastic. And these bizarre films that get made, I mean, it was, it's set in Anglia, in Great Britain. It's filmed in Ireland and it was made by a Spanish production company. You know, go figure. It's a, 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 quite a well-known Spanish producer and director, a production direction team, got together and worked on this gorgeous little slight, English it, novel. It has a slight continental film feel about it, don't you think? Oh, you just you just in that Bill, you're in that village, aren't you? Oh, you're, you're, you're by well, those windswept shores. Can you see the moments when I cried? Oh. Corrie, yeah. I so can. I so can. And I It's like you've ending... got mail, you know, when everybody says, oh, you're the Meg Ryan character whose bookshop <laughs> gets folded. Look, it, it is a brilliant story about village life, about bullying, about class. I really enjoyed it. I know it's just a small film, but I'm giving it a big tick. Yeah, me too. I agree. So, Caro, you now, know... Now, one week late, Corrie, because Ned hijacked um, your recipe last week. He and did. we should say that Ned and Zoe's finger... Of fingers of zucchini are in fact shaved ribbons of a small zucchini. Like, I understand don't... we had correspondence on that, Caroline, yeah, during the week. We did. So don't get those big mama zucchinis that people grow in their garden. Get the nice little continental ones and uh, get your potato peeler and shave them. That's what they mean and yeah. that's what they put it in the pasta. It was a great recipe and it is on our Facebook site. So, yeah, so he gazumped me, but I'm very happy to be gazumped by our darling Ned. So... Um, I'm sorry, everybody, if it sounds like the only time I ever eat nice food is when I'm on the golf course. But I had a game with a friend of mine, Goldie. And you know when you get – well, you don't because you don't play golf. But between the ninth and tenth (laughs) hole, um, there's always a little break. Slap. (laughs) Well, I don't play bridge, so you can slap me back. But um, there's usually a halfway hut or something or a little toilet or whatever, and you just have a, you know, get yourself ready for the next two hours. And Goldie produced, um, would you like an Anzac biscuit? It is the best Anzac biscuit I have ever had. You're developing had a sweet tooth. All your recipes are sweet now. No, I think What it's happened go- to the savoury girl I knew and loved? I know, but I think it's golf. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think it's walking 10 and a half K or 12 K. When we started doing this podcast, you were all about great bar snacks. Now you're about great comfort food on the golf course. I'll come back to it. I haven't done any cooking myself because it's just been a busy month in the shop. So Hit us with your Anzac biscuit So Goldie Goldie, um, does apologise because this is based on a CWA recipe, um, but she has altered it. To, at one point, and I'll tell you, and she says, quote, a great standby um, as you nearly always have all the ingredients in the pantry. So here we go. One cup of self-raising flour. Now, the CWA says one cup of sugar, Caro, but Goldie says she uses only half a cup of raw sugar because it is very sweet. So I'm going with the half a cup of raw sugar because hers just tasted perfect. One cup of rolled oats, one cup of desiccated coconut, 125 grams of melted butter and one tablespoon of golden syrup, two tablespoons of boiling water and one teaspoon of bicarb of soda. So put your oven on at 180 and grease your baking tray, sift the flour and then place all the dry ingredients, the coconut and the oats and all of that, in a bowl and mix it thoroughly. Then you add the melted butter and then you add the golden syrup and you also add the boiling water, which of course you've put the bicarb in and you've um, dissolved all that um, and put it in and you just give it a big toss until it's a firm consistency and then you place spoonfuls of mixture on the tray, probably, you know, a well, I'm saying that. Corrie's making a circle here with her finger, <laughs> forefinger in her thumb. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's not really helpful, is it? Went on radio. Anyway, um, no, you know, little... you guys know how to make bickies. Um, and then place the spoonfuls of half mixture a golf on the ball, tray. I would say about half a golf ball. Yeah, probably. They weren't very big. Do you, you like that want... little golfing analogy? <laughs> Touche. And then you just bake till they're golden. So there's no the CWA. You know, as is their want, sometimes they don't actually give you a time. The ladies prefer to actually sit by their oven and watch, which I always think is a good idea when you're cooking biscuits because every oven is different. That's true. But I reckon you'd be cooking them for maybe 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Anyway, do check. Uh, They are fabulous. Goldie's Anzac Biscuits. Thanks, Goldie. Okay, I'm going to get competitive now. My godmother, Patsy, has a recipe. that She calls them her famous rowing cookies. And she wrote in brackets, which have been served at rowing venues around the world, because her son, Sam, was an original member of the Awesome Foursome. So what? So, so when he's rowing in Oslo, she just whips into produ- a local kitchen and bakes up a batch? Or yeah, well, you know, says she, to the hotel, can I borrow your well, kitchen? she probably stayed in a self-catered apartment. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to bring well, in that recipe. she's carried a bloody long way from I'm Australia. Bring, I'm going to bring – I'm going to trump your Goldie's Anzac biscuits Will with you? my Patsy's rowing cookies. Okay. And we'll, and, we'll and, do a bake-off. And when you get back from your holiday, we can, we can um, bring them in and Miss Jane can be um, – she can be the judge. She's okay. gorgeous, your friend Goldie. I yeah. actually and and just on bridge, I had a really bad experience yesterday. Anyway, oh tell me, did someone hit you, slap you on the hand? Again? No, no worse. Um, oh now, what? No, oh, no, was, no, I'm shrieking. Sorry, oh. I'm excited. Go on, tell. <laughs> no, just bad behaviours, timed out, just a disaster. Anyway, and I got rattled. Now, Corey, I thought I was meant to be grumpy today, but in fact, you're grumpy today. Yeah, I'm grumpy because I've had this cold for nearly two weeks, and it is absolutely doing my head in and stopped me going to all social occasions last week. But apart from that, and that's just you know Melbourne in winter, get over it. I'm a bit grumpy about Theresa May, the British Prime Minister. Oh, I thought you liked her. I, well, I did the other day, you know, last time I said she was my crush, you but now cr- I've gone yeah. from a crush to a grumpy. <laughs> it's a fast-moving world That's in Corrie's. <laughs> I know. Yeah, just watch out, Caro. I could drop you as quickly. Um, as you know, Caro, Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, voted on the weekend um, to have abortion reform, which is just a huge achievement for that country. Pubs around Melbourne on Saturday night were full of expat Brits oh, watching that vote. And and if if 
Aussies are wondering what's the significance of this. May I suggest you read the Washington Post um, opinion piece by Anne Applebaum, who is one of my most favourite um, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists. And she's written about how countries can actually change and people can change and this is all possible. I think the date of that article was the 29th of May. Anyway, so... Um, what has happened? I didn't realise that the Northern Ireland Council, as it's been known for the last few years, which rules Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. um, has dissolved 16 months ago. Um, Sinn Féin had a fight had a fight with some of the other parties because it's it's you know it's kind of all in. Everybody from different parties rules Northern Ireland, and they fell apart over um, a renewable en- energies legislation and other stuff. And they actually haven't come back together. So the British Parliament, Westminster, has been overseeing. And ruling Northern Ireland since this whole thing dissolved. So what has happened is that Theresa May has been asked to bring abortion reform to Northern Ireland and she is procrastinating. She calls herself a feminist, yet she is refusing at this point um, to have anything to do with this, saying that the um, the Northern Ireland Council has to resolve this and come, come up with their own solution and conclusion on this uh, pesky topic. But the council doesn't exist. You know, Theresa May's government essentially rules Northern Ireland. So why can't they bring in this reform now? I don't understand what's going on. Um, the Shadow Attorney General, who is a, who is one to watch, Shami Shakahabati, said that if the PM was a self-identifying feminist, then surely the test of feminists is whether they stick up for all women around the world on all issues. So I'm just a bit grumpy with her and I think that she should pass legislation so Northern Irish women have the same access to abortion as their Southern um, colleagues will be in the Republic of Ireland. Don't you agree? I agree with you, although I think, you know, true feminists at times when women do something wrong, they can't always stick up for women all the time. But I think in this case it's really disappointing. And because On I, human rights issues, I think. Absolutely. And um, this is totally shallow and I know you were the grumpy one today, but I just happened to be in Australia Post the other day trying to get some service, standing among what was like a $2 shop of items, crappy items and games and silly books. When I was reading in the newspaper at the same time as I was waiting about the $55 million sale of Ahmed Fahua's house in Hawthorne. I mean, I've got, it might have been $40 million. The old um, Invergari, in fact, where um, – was that the name of it? What was the name of it? The, the, it was a ladies' finishing school for Angauri, Angauri. Um, that was that's the name of that was what it was. And in fact, my aunt Jennifer went there and so after he sold school, up and made a fortune. Well, he's selling up and he's advertising it everywhere. And you know, he's got it all on the on the basis, I'm sure, of those massive bonuses he received for completely stuffing up Australia. And what Post. your agitation is, meanwhile, you're standing in a long queue. I don't have any resentment towards people who do well in life and sell their houses for $45, $50 million, even beautiful historic places like Angauri and Hawthorne. But he did. Australia Post did not read what was going to happen to snail mail with the advent of the internet. They didn't read the play on anything and they have turned, they've closed down beautiful historic post offices around Victoria. They've sent them into news agencies and, news agencies and dry cleaners and the ones that are still existing are just full of queues, really poor service, and furnished with these items that you really don't want to buy. So that so made me very grumpy. you know how you said to me last week when I was complaining about my car, you said to Ned, oh, Corey, always, whenever she's grumpy, it's always a car issue. I think this is about the third or fourth time you've had a crack at Australia Post. Oh, I just, this was a great organisation that has just been downscaled. Trashed. I agree. It's time for six quick questions, Corrie. 
What is your favourite winter garment as we enter our favourite time of the year? I must go off to the Maya mid-season sale and buy myself a new scarf. Scarf? I love a scarf. You do love now, a scarf. You, know, I just you have, rock a scarf. <laughs> have it, look, you know, apart from my Hawthorne scarf, but, you know, we had the garage sale at the shop for a week in the coldest weather we'll probably have for the whole year. The scarf saved me, Carol. kept me warm around the neck. Love my scarf. Um, Barnaby Joyce, oh, we have to mention him again. This television interview, $150,000. Oh, my lordy. And now he's on um, leave. What's the question, Corrie? Oh, yeah, sorry, it's your turn. Um, should he have kept his mouth shut and declined all interviews, or are you okay with him doing the interview for 150k? No, we, well, what, what should he have done? We need to offer solutions here. He needed to do a Rob Doyle, as I suggested recently with Rob Doyle. He needed to sit down at a press conference and answer questions and answer all questions. And then maybe the drones and the media people camped outside the back of his house and all those reasons he justified the interview for probably wouldn't have happened. And what he shouldn't have done was blame the mother of his child because that was just an utter disgrace to say it was her reason. It was her call. Oh, he's a terrible... He's a dreadful piece of work. Now, Corrie, Marilyn's birthday... Is, is upon us. In fact, it's June the 1st, the first day of winter. She was born in 1926. So she, Marilyn Munro would, in fact, be 92. Oh, I'm impressed with you, Matt. This week. Give us your, hit me with your favourite Marilyn movie. Some Like It Hot. Oh, it's a great film, isn't when it? When she's sugar. Don't you love her? Yeah. That, that's the one with Tony Curtis yeah, and Yeah, and, and yeah. when they dress up as the women in the Absolute. female band. Oh, you know, I reckon I agree with you on that. I love that film. I watch it again and again. And the scene where she's, she sings the little ditty in the train. In the, yes, and, yep. And oh, Tony, and Jack, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon are sitting there just so awkwardly in their frocks, but then they start getting into it as a female. Do you think it really was like kissing a statue, as Tony Curtis said? I can't believe that. Oh, I think kissing Tony Curtis would be like a statue. Oh, oh he was pretty handsome. I did love um, All About Eve. She only has a small role in that. She did, didn't That she? is one of the great, most beautifully written films about the stage I've ever seen. Um, over to you. Are you a Rosa- Roseanne Barr fan? I loathe Roseanne Barr. And I'm, I'm happy. really glad you said that because I, I couldn't actually pick that for a minute. I never understood why she was funny the first time. I can't believe her new sitcom has been reprised and has been rating really well. Well, it's all over. It's been cancelled. She put out a disgusting tweet about Barack Obama and they it happened so quickly. She apologised profusely. She said she was going to close down her Twitter account. She'd never go on social media again. Too late, Roseanne. And and did you hear Donald Trump singing her praises? That'd be right. Yeah, we haven't actually heard from Donald since um, at time of going to press, Corrie, we haven't heard from the old Donald. Now, this fascinated me. Meghan's first royal outing was soon after the wedding. She wore pantyhose, which is apparently the Queen doesn't mind mixed race, as the Brits love calling it, marriages to divorcees anymore. But there is one thing she will not compromise on. If you go out and you're a member of the royal family and you're a woman and you wear a dress or a skirt, you have to wear pantyhose. Do you agree? Are you kidding me? In the in the post-mortem of the royal wedding, this is the one thing that's fascinated you? Well, no, because I didn't realise that that was still a royal rule. Okay, so you're talking, was, you're talking about the garden party for Charles' 70th birthday. Yeah, and, and they said there was all so these was articles she, about I the body. I didn't notice her legs. Was the she wearing them statement. or not? 
Corrie, there was untold articles and analysis written about pantyhose and how they were pale and they should now market a darker pair because she's got darker skin. Oh, it was all, you, you name it. This was analysed oh, to an this nth degree. Me. Well, uh, look, I well, you well, used to have a view at the races, for example. Yeah, uh, pantyhose or not? I am a. I hate pantyhose. I hate them. I hate wearing them. I hate laddering them. I hate spending money on them. Um, and as you know, I'm not a big fan of pantyhose. I don't mind a, a really thick stocking or tight in winter, but I don't like pantyhose. So I think, you know, bear all. Come on, queen. On to the 21st century. You've when, created the canopy. Now create the bare legs for the royal women. Well, you think when Jean Shrimpton did it at the Melbourne Cup back in the 60s, you think the royals might have moved on. Well, you know, they, they let the men run <laughs> Half around. Half a century later. When they all have those Balmoral sports days and all the chaps are in their kilts. The Queen doesn't mind a bit of bare leg then. <laughs> I've got a crush of the week. Oh, I, I, don't I, say a Richmond person. No, please. no, it does sort of have a football flavour. And this is with um, apologies to Kevin Sheedy because he, he probably... should be your crush of the well, week. We, we've Think given, how long you and I have been dancing around with Sheeds. I know. I've been bluing with him, not bluing with him. I'm a huge admirer of him and I think it's wonderful that he's a legend. But my crush of the week is Paul Briggs. Paul Briggs... Um, is a shepherd and man, a yorta yorta man, and it's fitting that we make him our crush of the week given that we've got the AFL's Indigenous round upon us. He, What he hasn't done for football in the Shepparton area, he founded the Rumbalara Football and Netball Club, created a pastime for Indigenous men and women in that area, which has just been the most wonderful club. It actually won its local premiership a few years ago. Um, he started the first Indigenous credit union or his work did that. He um, started an, an Indigenous lead, <coughs> excuse me, Leadership Council, um, the first Victorian Indigenous controlled health network, and he works closely with the AFL on Indigenous issues. He worked closely with the AFL on the Adam Goods issue. He probably could have been a bit stronger. I think he could, at times can be too diplomatic, which is why people love him. But he is one of those unsung heroes of Australian football that never gets mentioned very much. He is an unbelievable achiever, and I've got a massive crush on oh, Paul Briggs. Well, I think that's a very nice way to finish and the if show. You, you've got friends in um, Shepherd and Corrie. Go down, go to Rumbalara and watch one of their games. Paul Briggs will be there. He'll be sitting on the bench talking to the players. He'll be manning the scoreboard. And I'll board. go up and say, "Your Caro's crush." Exactly, exactly. And he'll blush and just go, that's the greatest honour I've ever had. Thank you. I will be very, very happy to um, be told that I've got a crush on Paul Briggs. Um, That was fun. That was our 40th show. So we're going to go on and hopefully do 41. And um, and then... um, I'm not going to do. By the way, our GLT has already been given earlier in the show, and that is your shopping network. No, no, that's your shopping network. What's her name again? The what? Christy. Oh, Christy Dawn. Christy Dawn. Christy Dawn. Get, Get on online, Instagram. guys. Sorry, Checker. I know, I know. <laughs> now everybody will be contacting Christy Dawn. Um, lovely show. Lovely chatting with you, Caro. I don't see you at the moment from week to week because we're both a bit busy, but it is nice to have a chat. And We're um, going to catch up this week, though. We're going to have a game, game of Scrabble. Scrabble. Yep, we oh, are. Well, I hope I haven't I've played for ages. I'm not so good in the night air at the moment, so we might have to do an afternoon one. But um, thank <laughs> you to all our potties for listening. <laughs> How old are you, 100? <laughs> Where's my scarf? Um, and thanks, everybody, for all your comments. We love hearing from you, as you can tell, because we've read out a few today. Oh, Carol, I forgot to mention that um, Cobram Estate dropped in another little gift. Dear Caroline mm. and Corrie, thank mm, you for only your... Only one, sadly. And guess what? You took it. 
I'm running low. They dropped it into the (laughs) shop. There wasn't one for you and Jane. Sorry. Dear Caroline and Corey, thank you for your support of Cobram Estate. We hope you enjoy our 2018 first harvest. Love from Rob, Paul and the team. Thanks, Rob, Paul and the team. I did enjoy it. I thought one bottle, how am I going to, like one week at my house, one at Caro's. So actually we're just in the middle of scoffing it at our place, but it is very nice. I'm happy to to hear that, Corrie. In fact, I've got a few olive trees and this lovely elderly not that elderly, lovely man has been going around the local area, getting you to fill in a form with your email address and getting permission to come into your house at any time of day and pick your olives and um, we're all going to get a bottle of olive oil at the end of it. Or else you'll get home one night and everything's gone out of your house. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thank you, nice man. So, yes, please do uh, let us know what you're thinking or if you've got any questions for our bonus Q&A episode, which we'll be running in a couple of weeks. Uh, Miss Jane, our lovely producer, is compiling those. So let us know. Just drop a message to us via Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page or on Twitter or email. Our email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com. Dot com dot au, or you can leave a note via our Carol and Corey Instagram page. It's been fun. Thanks, Jane, for being our lovely producer. And Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger.